The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let me begin with prayer. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God, we long to be filled with your presence, your goodness, to uh, praise you, our creator, God. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We pray your blessing. Will you fill our time, our pre- uh, just our, our, our time together this morning? Will you draw us near to you? We praise you and thank you and ask your blessing on our time. In your son's name we ask, amen. Amen. Thank you. That was really, really good to, to sing and to worship and to praise God. Uh, this morning we're, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 3, and I invite you to go ahead and start turning there. And as you're turning there, uh, I want to share briefly about a study that I recently read where they were studying the rise of a particular characteristic among people in society and trying to understand why this was happening. And they studied one characteristic uh, related to certain one group of people and found that this group of people was uh, less stressful, less prone to depression, happier. And yet the characteristic that they were looking at was narcissism. They, they found that people that are more narcissistic, that never feel any guilt or shame, never are concerned about what other people think about them, that they can be happier. Now, I hope that you hear that and you're not thinking, all right, how do I be more narcissistic and more selfish? I hope you think, wow, that's interesting. That is one path that we could take towards rest, towards uh, less anxiety. That is one path you could take. Just forget everybody else. Think only about yourself. I'm hoping that's not where you're going. And if you, as you can probably guess, in our passage this morning, that's not where we are going. But it is helpful to realize that there is such, there is such a thing as a false path to rest a false path to take us away from what God has said rest is. And so this morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3 and read a warning that the author of Hebrews gives to the people of God to not go down this false path. There's a path that may seem like it's good, but don't take that path. So let me read Hebrews chapter 3, and then we we will jump into this. Therefore, holy brothers, who share, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, and here comes the warning, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion 
On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not, uh, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. We read a warning in this passage, and it's helpful to understand what is happening with the church that is receiving this letter. So the church in the first century was a tiny, tiny church. When we think about the church today, and we talk about the church in society, sometimes we talk about the influence and the power that the church has had, that the church has misused or failed to, to do something. This was not the case in the first century. We're not talking about hundreds of millions or billions of Christians. We're talking about thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Christians. Tiny, tiny church that was persecuted. They experienced that. It, later on in Hebrews chapter 10, we, uh, we read about how God's people were, were publicly called out. Uh, they were uh, false accusations made against them. And when they would try to do good to other people, they would have their goods, their, their possessions stolen. People were experiencing persecution. And the result of this was that some people were tempted to turn away from Jesus. This is the false path. There were people that said, you know, following Jesus is not really getting me ahead in society. It's not leading to a less stressful life. It's not leading to fewer problems in my life. In fact, it seems to make my life more complicated. Maybe I should consider turning away from Jesus. And the book of Hebrews is calling God's people to say, no, that's a false path. Do not take that path. In the beginning of chapter 3, the author holds up Jesus as an example of faithfulness, saying Jesus is even greater than Moses, right? This is, in this context, Jesus is greater than Michael Jordan. He is the goat. He is the best. He, he amen, yes. He is, uh, he, he's holding him up. That's the positive example. And I want to focus more on the second half of the chapter where he then goes and gives a negative example. He gives a story about the people of Israel, about how they did not trust God. So we have Jesus as our positive example. This is what we should do. He is an example of faithfulness. Now we're going to see another example. And when we read this, I want to provide a quick explanatory note here. Uh, in, in my house, sometimes... 
with me and my daughter, we like to joke a lot. And, and one of the things that you possibly could hear if you are in our house is one of us saying, man, you are one pathetic loser. No offense, right? And you might be thinking, what? Unless you've seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, right? If you've seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, I don't have to explain that quote to you. You know exactly what I'm saying. And maybe you haven't watched Dumb and Dumber or you don't quote it in your house uh, the way we do in my house. That's very possible. But at your home or your circle of friends, I guarantee there are certain things that you say that you don't explain when you're with your circle of friends. Everybody just knows. You don't have to explain it. With the author of Hebrews, he's writing a letter to people who know the Old Testament, right? That's a little bit different than the movie Dumb and Dumber. They know the Old Testament. They know the stories. And so he doesn't explain everything. He doesn't lay it all out, drawing connection from A to B. They know it. So I will make some of these connections, but he didn't connect all of these dots because they knew the stories. And so we see that this morning. And we see that he, he talks about the, the people of God hardening their hearts and how they failed to enter the rest of God. This is repeated a couple times. And we also see it in chapter 4. This is picked up again. Do not fail to enter into the rest of God. Uh, but we, when we read this, he, he makes this statement, the day of testing in the wilderness. What is this? What is the day? And he also says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. <clears throat> now, quick show of hands. How many of you, when I say the rebellion, you think Star Wars? Okay, some of you think Star Wars, right? This is an example of there's something you hear. Now, for me, I did not grow up watching Star Wars, but my wife did, and so I got introduced to it later in life. But, but for those of you who know that movie, you can hear something, and your mind just goes there. So for the people reading this, the words for the Hebrew words for rebellion and wilderness are Meribah and Masa, which are two physical locations. And so when they read this, they knew that he's talking about two physical locations that are referred to in Exodus chapter 17. So it's, he's not explicitly saying it, but they know that's what he's talking about. What happened at Meribah and Massa? If we think about what happened in the book of Exodus, we can think about God's people who had been in slavery and God delivers them. God shows his power, his might. He is able to uh, cast plagues. He is able to bring life, take life. He is able to take people away from a, a powerful nation, a powerful ruler, take them through the Red Sea, part the seas, and how do people respond to this awesome, incredible display of God's goodness? We see in Exodus 17, man, is this all we got to eat? Can we, wh where is God at? We're hungry. I want some food. When, when we think about the rebellion, when I hear that term, I tend to think of something kind of Star Wars-esque where somebody's taking up arms and, and there's an actual war, whereas the author of Exodus and Hebrews here is drawing reference to rebellion as they didn't think God was going to take care of them. They were complaining in the, in the wilderness about God, he, he 
brought us out of Egypt to let us die in the wilderness. They failed to trust God. Unbelief. This passage mentions multiple times that it was because of unbelief. They were complaining and doubting that God could provide. And why is this so bad? When we think about why this is so bad, it's one thing if somebody that I don't know says, Wayne, don't go outside. It's dangerous out there. And I go outside. Somebody says, well, why did you go? Well, I didn't know who that was. I didn't know I could trust them. But this is God. He's revealed himself. He's shown his power. It's not like they don't know who he is. They know who he is, and they didn't trust him. They were complaining in the wilderness, grumbling, griping, and this led them to fail to enter into God's rest. They wandered for 40 years because of their unbelief. They failed to trust God. And another thing that is vital to grasp in this passage is this is a quote from Psalm 95. Now, the, the psalm that we, that we uh, did responsive reading first thing this morning, we read the first part of this, and, uh, and, and the first part of Psalm 95 draws attention to God as our creator. God is the good creator. And then the last part of this psalm is, therefore, do not harden your hearts. Now, this point goes along really well with the children's sermon this morning, that talked about God had established something at creation and people saying, no, we just want to go our way and do our thing. And I think, again, here again, the author of Hebrews is doing his Dumb and Dumber-esque quote where he's not explaining all that's going on, but they know Psalm 95. And they know that the warning in Psalm 95 comes after a reminder of God's goodness as the creator. God is our creator. want to know where can we find rest. We trust our creator. That's, where, that's who we have to trust. Recently, I watched a documentary, The Social Dilemma, and it talked about uh, the social media apps, Facebook, Instagram, and they had a lot of people who were there at the beginning of the creation of these apps, and they began to explain, you know, when these apps were created, the purpose was not to make everybody more informed on issues. The purpose was not to make sure that we create a loving environment where people uh, gather in community and help each other. They reveal, what was the purpose? Well, sell advertising to make money. Now, if somebody who created these apps tells us this is why it was created, it's pretty foolish for us to just ignore that, right? Now, I'm, by the way, I'm not saying everybody has to get off social media. I'm not going down that path. But I'm just saying, if somebody created something and they're telling you our purpose in creating it was not to make people more informed or to love each other, but to make money off of people, you should listen to that. They, are, they created it. They, and if you want to know how it works, this is how it works. This is the same thing that the author of Hebrews is saying. If you want to know how to find rest, where is rest found? It's found in, in, in our creator, God. That's where we need to look for rest. So the first point this morning, and I'm realizing now as I look at my notes that I forgot to review the three questions we're, we're, uh, that I'm going through this morning, so I'll just do that right now. Where is rest found? What is the false path to rest? And what keeps us on the right path? 
Those are the three questions we're answering this morning. The first one, where is rest found? In the creator God. Looking to the creator God. That's where you look for rest. Don't look somewhere else. Look to the creator. The second one, second question that we look at is, what is the false path? What is it that's tempting them to turn away? And the, the answer to that is the, they, they abandon Jesus. They're tempted to turn away from Jesus. My life is complicated. It seems to be because I'm associating with this person called Jesus. Maybe if I stop that, my life will be less complicated. That is the false path. That is turning away from the creator God who has demonstrated himself faithful. And here, it's helpful to realize what is going on with, with this quote. We, we have, at one time, there was a historical event of the people of Israel in the wilderness. So the first person to write about it was in the book of Exodus. And he writes about these historical events for that situation and that context. Then the psalmist comes and says, okay, God's people are now in a different situation. Let me write about that same event a second time. And let me apply it to this new context. Now, the author of Hebrews doesn't just say, go back and read the first two. He writes a third time, going back to the same events, because he says, we still need to hear God's word today. This event, yes, it happened in the past. Yes, the author of Exodus applied it here. Yes, the psalmist applied it here. Yeah, but we need to hear it today. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. And for us today, I think we need to ask the question. We need to do it a fourth time. What does this mean to not abandon Jesus today? And one of the key points I want to communicate is our situation, the church in America, is not the same situation as the church in the first century. As I shared, the church in the first century, it cost something to publicly say, I am a Christian. Here, I, I realize this can vary. There are some contexts where you may say, I am a Christian, and you will, will, you will catch some, some grief for that. But generally, people aren't robbing your house because you are a Christian. It is very different when we look at our context today. And so what does it mean for us today to not take this false path of abandoning Jesus? And I'll give you an illustration. In the 1960s, Dr. King preached a number of sermons. A couple years ago, Dodge Trucks ran a commercial during the Super Bowl where they had about a minute clip of Dr. King preaching about serving others. And they kind of caught some flack for that because people said, well, what was your goal in quoting that? Was your goal to really call people to honor the legacy of Dr. King, to really dig in to who Dr. King was? Or was your goal to just sell trucks? And there's been a change, hasn't there? It, in, the, in the 1960s, if you wanted to to sell a product, there probably were not many people saying, hey, why don't we get Dr. King to be our spokesperson? If you associated with Dr. King, it costs something. And that's one of the reasons why he was so frustrated with so many of his white brothers and sisters in Christ who were like, well, you know, in private, silently, yeah, that's a good point, say that. But publicly, they were hesitant. So what has happened today? 
It's not the same cost. And so what people have done is they've watered them down. People have watered down Dr. Quote, and on MLK Day, everybody will quote Dr. King. And let's face it, most people really only know a handful of quotes from Dr. King, and that's about it. A lot of the things that he says that has some real punch, people don't really read, just kind of gloss over. All right, the same thing has happened with Jesus. If we go back and really read who Jesus was, whenever it cost something to say, I am with Jesus, people thought twice about saying, I am a Christian. But in American society, it has not had the same cost. In fact, many times, you can get ahead if you say, I am a Christian. Every president in the history of our country has claimed to be a Christian And while I don't want to be overly cynical about politicians, I kind of think that a few of them may have done it because they wanted to get some votes. There there has been a shift, and we do the same with Jesus. So when I say, what does it mean to not take the false path of abandoning Jesus, I would say in our context, what that means is don't reshape Jesus. Not only don't abandon Jesus, but for us today, where we're not facing the same persecution for saying, yes, I am a Christian, don't abandon Jesus, don't reshape him. And this has happened so many ways in the history of America. People have, we have had some people, I remember studying a German theologian, Schleiermacher and other dudes in seminary, who they found, oh, Jesus is not enlightened enough. We need Jesus to to sort of, we can't have him doing miracles because we're modern, enlightened people who don't believe in miracles. And so there was a liberal version of Jesus that was, hey, trust in Jesus, but anything that seems a little unreasonable, just kind of cut that out, right? And then there's been a reaction to that of, whoa, that's evil. They're, they're, They're abandoning Jesus. And so we have people saying, we have to protect Christianity And so people have, in the name of defending Jesus, fought against the abolition of slavery because, well, that's godless Marxism. Or in the 1920s when there was uh, racist immigration policy against Asian Asian Americans or Asian immigrants, uh, Madison Grant in his work talks about, no, we can't do that because Jesus descended from Nordic countries. Really? I didn't see that. So there has been a version of Jesus that, hey, you just do what you want to do. Anything that seems unreasonable, just cut that out. That's one way of reshaping Jesus. There's another way of reshaping Jesus that says, well, we're going to fight that, and we're not really going to pay attention to the ways in which other things like racism or capitalism or other things Maybe I've overly embraced certain of these other things. Reshaping Jesus can happen in a number of ways. I'm reminded of the saying, genius has its limits, but stupidity has no bounds. <laughs> the number of ways in which we have come up with reshaping Jesus, there's no end to it. And so for us today to cling to Jesus, to follow the path to rest, We can't just be aware of one false Jesus out there. There is any number of ways that we can go down the wrong path. And so many times, I don't think it's it's one of these two versions of Jesus. I think it's just 
I'm just going to live my life and kind of Jesus is going to be my, just my personal Jesus. I'll kind of, you know, go to him and someone to hear my prayers, hear my cares, write my own personal Jesus. This is just, uh, I'm not really getting into these large debates. I'll go to him when he helps bring me rest. That is a false path. These are false paths to rest. We cannot abandon Jesus. We cannot reshape Jesus. So remember the first point. Where is rest found? It's in trusting our creator. Everybody say creator. The second one, what is the false path? Abandoning Jesus or reshaping Jesus? Say Jesus. Now the third, what is the solution that the author gives? What keeps us on the right path? Let me read verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another daily, every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The answer is in the community of God. We need each other. We need other people to remind us. Why? Because sin is deceitful. Why why do we so easily cling to all these false versions of Jesus? Because they sound good. They they resonate with something that that I want. We need other people to to encourage us, call us out if necessary, challenge us. And here in America, this is a huge challenge. Uh, Recently, I was having a conversation with someone who moved to the U.S. from another country and I, it was somebody I was familiar with uh, the, the, the culture that he came from. I was familiar with the country that he came from. And he was telling me about how early on he was here and he needed help with something. He was at work. He didn't have a car, didn't understand the, trans- the bus system. And, and he, said, he said, you know me and my culture, if I need something, I ask. If, if I need help, I just ask. And, and he said, but I asked people I didn't know, can you give me a ride home? And he said, people just looked at me like I was so weird. What, wait, you're, like, I don't know you. Why, why are you asking me for help? Well, one of the problems that we have in America is asking for help can be seen as a weakness. We're, we, we're striving to be independent, to make it look like we've got it all together. And that's just garbage, we are not independent. Uh, none, even, even those of us who think we are, we aren't. We need other people encouraging us daily. And it's important to realize how, uh, how much this, the culture in America pushes you to feel like you need to be independent. You need to take care of things on your own. And it just stood out to my, my, my friend who I was talking to. He said, you know, in my culture, if we need help, we just ask. And I'm like, that, how often do you call somebody and say, hey, I'm sorry to bother you? Or you need help. Hey, I need help with this task. I'm sorry to bother you. Uh, somebody else from, from this same country said, you know, we show up to people's houses uninvited and we never apologize. 
But I guarantee many of you, when you call people or you just show up or you ask for help, you apologize. Why? Why should I apologize for, for saying, hey, uh, I need help with something? It, it should, it should not, there should not be shame associated with saying, I'm weak, I'm discouraged, I, 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 need, I need help with something. We should not say, hey, I'm sorry to bother you, but I really need help with something that I'm struggling with. That should be a bizarre, a bizarre statement to, to, to think this way. We need other people, and we need community that is willing to challenge us. And I will share that I, uh, I, I really like that this passage talks about today and encourage each other every day. For me, many times, it's not that I'm unwilling to ask for help, but honestly, I just don't think about it. I just get going with my schedule. I know these are the, the things that are on my to-do list that I have to do. And it's really not until I get with other people, and usually it's not until I get with other people and we're praying, and they specifically look at me and say, Wayne, how are you doing? And then in that moment, I finally stop and think, oh, in fact, recently this happened to me. I shared, you know what? Actually, about two weeks ago, I was really, really frustrated. And I had a good friend who turned to me and said, Wayne, you should have, you should have reached out two weeks ago. You shouldn't be telling me this now, right? Now, she wasn't telling me that when I was really discouraged, so that was a good thing. But, but we need people who are, are willing to, to challenge us. This is the type of community that we need in the, in, the, uh, in the church of God. What is it that keeps us on the right path? It is a community that uh, is willing to be with us when we are down. It's a community where I can call you and ask for help without apologizing or feeling like I'm just putting you out. It's a community where they can be with me when I'm vulnerable. And it's also a community that can say, hey, you look like you're, you're tempted to abandon Jesus. You look like you're, you're reshaping Jesus in your image. It's also a community that can challenge you and, and where we can hear that. So often today, community has become, I want to be with people who are just going to endorse everything that I say. And, and one of the things that I think this passage draws us to is, we need a community that not just endorses everything we say or everything we believe or do, but we need a community that recognizes we're weak, we're, we need help, and, and calls us back to our creator, calls us back to trusting the creator God. And so to summarize the different questions that we've looked at this morning, where is rest found? It's found in our creator. Again, everybody say creator. Remember that this week. We have a good creator calling us to follow him. He's telling us where rest is. To, to ignore what the creator has said rest is, is foolish. Next, what is the false path? Abandoning Jesus or reshaping Jesus? So everybody say Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. And finally, what is it that helps keep us on the right path? 
It's the community, the community of God. If you're not in a community, if you're not having people that are regularly encouraging you, praying for you, you don't have people that you can turn to them and say, I'm weak, I'm struggling, I need help. You need to find that. Everybody say community. This is where we find the rest of God. And today, this week, I encourage you to reflect on who our creator is, reflect on how we cling to Jesus, and how our community helps us to do that. Father, we just thank you for your word that speaks to us and challenges us. May you draw us closer and closer to you, I pray. In your son's name I ask, amen. I now invite you to worship in giving. Uh, there's information up here. I think there will be on how to give by text. There's also baskets at the end on your way out. So uh, let us continue worshiping our God.